Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. We have a great opportunity to look back at one of the great teams in college football history, the 1963 Navy Midshipmen, and we have two guest experts on today to tell us all about this fantastic team, their special quarterback, and a time in America when the nation needed some heroes and a special story on the gridiron. It's all coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history, and welcome to another trip back in time. And what do you need to go back in time? You need to have a friend on your Rolodex that's a time traveler, and we have that. Our good friend Len Furman, the sports time traveler, joins us once again to talk about a really special team from the gridiron history. Uh, Len, welcome back to the Pigpen. Thank you so much, Darren, for having me back again. I really enjoyed it here the first time. Yeah, uh, and Len, you got some help today. You you brought your muscle with you to talk about th- this team, and uh, you know, an expert. You know, have two experts on here ta- telling me about this great story. And I'll let you introduce our our special guest. Well, first, first, let me describe what I do. So I, I call myself the sports time traveler. It's kind of tongue in cheek. I go back in time virtually through newspaper archives and videos, and experience great sporting events from the past as if they're happening now. I typically go back exactly 50 or 60 years. And uh, Greg is is one of my oldest friends and one of my biggest readers. And he told me uh, early in the fall, Len, you got to go back to 1963. It'll be exactly 60 years ago and follow the Navy football team from 1963. It's going to be a really special year. So I was really excited to do that. And especially because it was Greg's, my friend's suggestion. And uh, and Greg's got a, a big tie into the Navy. Greg, do you want to uh, introduce yourself and, and tell us about your experience? Yeah. Good. Hello, everybody. I'm Greg McGiffney. I graduated from the Naval Academy in 1985. And I, I grew up basically with Navy football. That was my favorite football team for, for a lot of reasons. One, just you got to pick a team back there and there's only one college game on any given Saturday. So Navy was on a lot. And, you know, I just kind of fell in love with the Navy team. And, you know, there, there was a tie-in too, because during the 1970s, you might remember a guy named Roger Staubach who played football for the Dallas Cowboys. And, but he was a Naval Academy graduate, Heisman Trophy winner. And he was kind of a legendary Navy football player. And and so with, with all that said, I, I just, 
follow Navy football, love Navy football as a kid. And then that kind of made me, I said, I, you know, I want to go to the Naval Academy because that's, that's a great football tradition, great team. You know, I, I, I want to be part of this, you know, I want to be part of the Navy tradition. I had no idea what I was getting into, but I just said, you know, what, I want to do that. And eventually I applied and, and got in after, you know, really thinking about how you, what you have to do. But at the time it was like, oh, Navy football, they play Notre Dame, they play Army, they're on TV, you know, this is great. And it's, it's, and everybody's, you know, yelling and screaming and having a great time at these games. So it's, it's just one of those things you want to be part of, I guess, growing up and everybody picks a team. And I think a lot of maybe young kids pick colleges because of who they like in football and college. I don't know, but at the time that's what I did. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Well, well, Greg, we certainly welcome you to the pig pen and thank you very much for your service and for all those out there listening that have served our, our country and protected our freedom. We, we really thank you for that. And this really puts an interesting twist on it. I, I love that we have a Navy guy talking about a Navy team here with the Sports Time Traveler and uh, here in Pixie and Dispatch. So I'm going to hand the reins over to Len to sort of narrate us through the story of this 1963 Navy team. And of course, we'll get the expert uh, uh, analysis uh, by Greg here uh, to share it. And I'll have some questions along the way. So let's uh, start this journey back to 1963. So I started following the 1963 Navy team. I didn't know much about them. I was really interested and surprised when I found out they had Roger Staubach and it was his junior year. You know, I everybody knows Staubach, Staubach from the Cowboys, but as uh, Greg's pointed out, he played for Navy and I didn't realize that. Um, and they, uh, the year before in 1962, Staubach's sophomore year, they were just a so-so team. They were only five and five, so there wasn't really high expectations. But they started out the season with two uh, big victories over, you know, marginal teams. But then their third game of the season, they go into Michigan and they and they beat Michigan pretty badly. And uh, so that was an uh, indication there might be something special going on. And uh, and Staubach was brilliant. Uh, the Navy coach, uh, I'm sorry, the Michigan coach, Bump Elliott, uh, who had been an All-American player himself, said, uh, after that game, he thought Staubach was the best football player he'd ever seen. So uh, so Staubach is starting to get some some real national attention. Their fourth game, uh, very interesting for later in our story, they go to the Cotton Bowl in Dallas to play SMU. And they lose that game 32 to 28. But they lose the game when on the last play of the game, Staubach, Staubach had driven them something like 70 or 80, 70 or 80 yards uh, with the last, in the last couple of minutes. And uh, the last play of the game, he throws into the end zone. And the wide receiver uh, in the newspaper archives, I've read several accounts, either dropped the ball or juggled the ball in a drop or whatever it is. He dropped the ball in the end zone. If he catches the ball as, as time's running out, they win the game. They would have been 4-0. Uh, but then the next week they uh, they beat VMI. They go to four and one, and then they play Pitt, and this is a big game. It's at Navy, and they have the largest crowd in the history of the uh, stadium. There, Pitt is ranked number three in the country at that time. Uh, Navy, after their four and one start, is now ranked tenth, and they uh, and they destroy uh, Pitt, uh, and that that really puts them on the map. They're Suddenly now they're they're recognized uh, by Sports Illustrated as the top team in the East. 
and they get up to fourth uh, in the rankings. And then they go into Notre Dame. And even though Notre Dame's not the greatest team, uh, it's, you know, it's still pretty daunting to go into Notre Dame. And uh, Notre Dame had already beaten USC and UCLA at home. And, uh, and Navy uh, is able to manhandle Notre Dame. So they're really on to a, a very uh, special season. And, uh, and Staubach is uh, getting uh, incredible press. In fact, uh, I, I want to read something that I found uh, in, the, um, in the New York Times uh, about Staubach. Uh, so Allison Danzig, uh, you may have heard that name. He was a uh, great sports writer for the New York Times for over 40 years. He was covering uh, football in the 1920s. And uh, so he writes about uh, Staubach uh, after the Notre Dame game. His unruffled poise before the rush of the enemy linemen, the cleverness with which he casually evades their fierce embrace and the discernment with which he at long last finds his receivers or picks up blockers, have baffled opponents and amazed onlookers game after game. He has a law unto himself and has given, a, and he has been given a latitude in doing the unorthodox that is seldom permitted a player. I mean, this is really, uh, uh, it, it's it's really, uh, you know, incredible stuff. And uh, if you ever get a chance to watch videos of Staubach playing in 1963, um, he's uh, he, he really, uh, you know, it's true to what Danzig says. He's, you know, he clearly is doing things you don't expect to see quarterbacks do. You know, uh, the way he evades uh, uh, rushers and uh, and is able to hit his wide receivers. And, and he's also uh, a, a big threat in rushing as well. And uh, so so he's having this incredibly special season. And then. Um, but uh, Lena, and, if I could interject yeah, here real yeah, quick, yeah, go ahead. Uh, um, on your uh, sports time traveler, your blog post, and we'll we'll put the links uh, to that in the show notes of this podcast. Uh, Len has an embed of one of the games. I believe it's the the Texas game. You have a video of on YouTube that you can watch the game, so you can see some of Staubach and his teammates. You know just how special these guys were. So I'm sorry, but please continue. Yeah, you can see actually the entire Army-Navy game, which we're going to get to in a minute. And, and you can see uh, uh, extended clips of the uh, when they played Texas. But um, so al along the way, they um, they kept rising. They keep winning. They keep rising in the rankings. They make it to number two. And by mid-November, it becomes very apparent that there's nothing uh, in the way of Navy uh, not making it to uh, a showdown in the Cotton Bowl with number one Texas, which is uh, Texas is undefeated. Uh, the uh, the only thing in that could possibly be in their way would be Army. And so this brings us to uh, around the third week in November. And I, I want to give Greg a chance to uh, uh, talk. So, Greg, <laughs> do you want to tell us what happens uh, in the third week in November, 1963? Well, if you remember history at all, and you remember um, the times we were in in the 19, early 1960s, uh, you know, president was JFK, and at, he went to Dallas, as you call in the third week of this uh, November, excuse me, in 1963, and, and he was very much in, involved in, let's say, local Texas politics. 
backs as well as having a lot of Texans around him, so to speak, uh, John Connolly and LBJ, of course. Um, so as you remember, he went down, went down to Texas uh, at that time. And, and unfortunately, um, we, we know what happened with the, with his assassination. It was a terrible time for the country. And, you know, whether or not you were a fan of Kennedy or his politics or anything else, the, the, the country was stunned. He was an innovative, you know, leader. He was, you know, he got us through the missile crisis and, and he was basically looking at the 64 election and for re-election. And he's, you know, collecting, you know, receipts, so to speak, and trying to build his popularity and everything else. So, you know, that shock hit hit the world. And of course, right after that, it was supposed to be what? The Army-Navy game. And it usually was played at the end of November. And so most of the world in football leagues, and everybody else except for one league, I will not name that league necessarily, but one league played their games that weekend. But Colleges mostly and another professional league did not play games. They took the week off to mourn because there's official day of mourning that, you know, the next day after the weekend and it goes on from there. So the Army Navy game was postponed. Navy had a break. Army had a break. And so Army being a, still a good team and a legacy from the 50s. You remember the Pete Dawkins team and everything else. They were they were a big time team in the 50s and they're. Or off they go to play Army Navy, a very big game. Army could upset Navy. Army's ranking was, I think, top ten at the time. Uh, if not, they were close to it, and they were a very, very good team. And and as you you might not know, or people might not know, JFK, although he went to Harvard, remember, and that growing up, I remember PT one hundred and nine. JFK was a Navy naval hero. PT one hundred and nine. You know, he went through that, and that, that was people on people's mind. People knew that. Oh yeah, Kennedy was a World War II hero, a legitimate hero, a Navy guy. And I guess JFK probably adopted Navy as his football team because he went to a lot of important Navy games, including what the uh, Orange Bowl, uh, where Joe Bellino played that game. And then, uh, you know, he went to Army-Navy games as president. He, he was always there. He, he made it a point to be there. And uh, he was probably Navy's biggest presidential football fan. I mean, remember Ike Eisenhower? I, he was an Army guy. He was a West Point guy. So in the 50s, there was Ike and West Point. Now in the 60s, you had Navy and Kennedy. It's kind of a neat neat thing. But Kennedy really was a big Navy football fan. And not many people know that. And I, I you know, this year, they, had, they played the game, actually, the 60th anniversary in Massachusetts. And not a word about Kennedy, which boggled my mind. But still, it was... It was a big deal and a big deal to me because I knew how much Kennedy was a football fan for Navy and he, it was very meaningful. Um, and so it, and so it goes. But the game ended up being played uh, on December 7th later that year in Philadelphia at the old Memorial Stadium. And so that game was played on Pearl Harbor Day and Pearl Harbor was still it was a big thing back then and, and so on. And it was. You know, I guess the only game going at that time, and it was national. I guess it was nationally tell. I guess it was a big deal, and everybody's watching it. And there's a hundred thousand people there, and there's and there's JFK, or would have been JFK, except his memory and 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 the whole country was, you know, still mourning. So anyway, that game, you know, happened. And Len, you can tell them. You know, why don't you tell the world about how what happened that game? Because that was one of the best games and best stories of Navy football in. in Prior to that day, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the, the game itself in a minute, but I just want to uh, uh, reinforce uh, some of the things Greg was saying about JFK being a huge Navy fan. This is one of the things 
this this is kind of the key part of the story that I wanted to make sure uh, we we get through uh, we we uh, describe here because uh, it was something I didn't know, and mm. and the tie in between JFK and the Navy team here uh, is is really something special. He 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 was a really diehard Navy football fan, as as Greg mentioned. Uh, when he was president-elect in 1961, he made it a point to go to the Orange Bowl game to root uh, for Navy. And he, he was he was there in Philadelphia at the Army-Navy game in 61 and 62. And he, had, and he made it known he was very much looking forward to going to this Army-Navy game. It was supposed to be played on November 30th. He even had a plan that he was going to sit on the, you know, he, he recognized as commander-in-chief, he has to look at least a little impartial. So his plan was he was going to sit on the army side in the first half and the navy side in the second half and he wanted to, and he planned it out that way because he wanted to be on the navy side when they won the game and uh, and he knew as being a big football fan in general you know his whole family was always a football fans being a big football fan in general he obviously knew that if navy won the game they were going to get invited to the cotton bowl texas texas was the uh top team in the country. They, they had already finished an undefeated season and Texas was going to the Cotton Bowl as number one. And if Navy won, they were going to get the invite and, and be there as the number two team. Now, the interesting thing is that up to this point in college football history, only one other time has a number one and number two team met in a postseason bowl game. So this was going to be a really special game and uh, some evidence that JFK was planning on, you know, kind of knew this and was planning around it is I just uncovered, uh, as I was writing my article about the Cotton Bowl game last week, that when Kennedy was in Dallas on November 22nd, uh, the plan, the, uh, the open air motorcade he was in, they were going to the Dallas trademark. He was going to be delivering a speech. As soon as that speech was over, he was going back to the airport. Air Force One was going to fly him to Austin. And in Austin, he was planning to go see the University of Texas football practice. He was going to be at their practice. That practice never took place. It was canceled, obviously. And he ha even had a joke prepared in his speech there uh, where he says something to the extent that we, we all would like to see a Navy-Texas game. And if I can do something about it, I will. But I know you guys don't like uh, a lot of federal intervention. So that was his that was his uh, little joke he was going to make in Austin uh, that day. So that's kind of, you know, kind of proof to me that he was really following this. He was definitely going to the Army Navy game and he was looking forward to that that win so he could go to the the Cotton Bowl game. So uh that this this really got to me that JFK had this such passion for football and wanted to go see these games. Now, the Army-Navy game, it, it turned out to be a great game. Uh, it was a classic uh, case of powerhouse offense versus versus great defense. Army had a great defense. And uh, Army took the lead 7 to nothing. Then Staubach uh, did his magic. And, and uh, with 10 minutes to go in the game, Navy's up 21-7. And then, and then something strange happened. Navy never got the ball back. Uh, Army comes down and scores, and they make a two-point conversion, and now it's 21-15 with six minutes to go. Now, Army's uh, quarterback was a guy named uh, Stickwell, and uh, 
they also, as as a lot of uh, players did back in those days, as you know, Darren, uh, they played on more than just uh, one team. So Stikwa also played special teams, and um, so on special. So uh, Army kicks off. Stick was there on special teams. Stikwa recovers an, the onside kick. So Army gets the ball back, and then with six minutes to go, he drives them down, uh, and with. Uh, down, he drives them downfield with a minute 37 to go. They've got first and goal on the Navy seven. And, you know, they so they had driven for a touchdown already. They're driving down again. It looks like nothing's going to be able to stop them. And then uh, and then Navy, they, they get about a couple of yards on second down. They get uh, I mean, they get a couple of yards on first down. They get a couple of yards on second down. Now it's third and three. And and Army has no timeouts left. But the crowd, and I can't really imagine this. It's an open air stadium. The old, the old, what, what I, what I heard, what, what was called JFK Stadium when I was growing up. It's not JFK Stadium yet at that point. Um, it's just Philadelphia Stadium or Memorial Stadium. There's 102,000 people there. It's so loud that uh, Stikwa, the the army players can't hear Stikwa's call. So, so I. This is something kind of incredible sounding to me. But at that time, and I don't know if it's still in place, there was a rule that if the if the crowd was so loud that the uh, quarterback, the quarterback signals couldn't be heard by his own players, that he could call an official time. He could turn to the official and call time. And, and he does this a couple of times. He does it on second down. And then he tries to do it again on third down. But what he doesn't realize what Stickwood doesn't realize, apparently, is, yes, they're going to give him this official time to momentarily stop the game, but but then they're going to start the clock again. And so, unbeknownst to Stickwood, the clock starts again, and time runs out. Mm. Time runs out on third and goal, and Navy and Army didn't get another play. So, so Navy, uh, Navy barely escaped. But they won the game. They retained their number two ranking, and they were invited uh, to the Cotton Bowl. Wow! And they're probably wiping their brows, uh, all the sweat off their brows, all the fans, because that's got to be an edge of your seat moment. Those uh, last six minutes. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, so they recover the onside kick. And there's six minutes left, and they tick off four and a half minutes and go what forty yards. That's incredible. Yes, there they yeah, must have you, been you some could... a bunch of two yard gains or something the whole way down there. <laughs> well, they they were, you know, mostly a running team. So yeah, so they were just grinding out yardage, and Navy wasn't you know wasn't able to stop them. That's the old four minute offense. You're trying to run the clock out. You see a lot of all of a sudden NFL teams right on Sunday. They're they're winning, and all of a sudden, hey, we're we're going to run the clock out, right? We're going to try to get first downs and you know, matriculate the ball downfield kind of very slowly and succinctly and not throw a lot of passes. So yeah, that's, that was the strategy and it probably would have worked or should have worked except you had, you had some crowd stuff and the, the you know, the 12th man showed up and definitely helped Navy team this time around. Yeah. And uh, when to answer your question, I think that rule is still in place. And if you think back like 15, 20 years ago, there were NFL teams that were trying to do that, but the quarterbacks were finding, yeah, they got the pause and the officials would stop the game. Uh, not only would the clock restart, but 
the crowd would say, hey, this is bugging that QB. Let's get louder and let's, get, you know, <laughs> let's really get in his face. So I think they just sort of ignore it and they go to the silent counts uh, uh, to get by that. But uh, yeah, great, great story, though, uh, guys. That uh, really puts me back into the moment there. And I really appreciate that. So, so, so then, uh, yeah, go ahead. We'll continue with well, our, our 1963 story of Navy. Yeah, so so then they uh, they've got three weeks to get ready for the Cotton Bowl game, which is on New Year's Day, and and the irony of this is that the Cotton Bowl obviously is in Dallas. So so here JFK, it's pretty certain he would have gone to Dallas six weeks after his first visit to Dallas. He he would have gone back there to watch the Cotton Bowl game. It, it's pretty much a certainty. In fact. Um, the reason I'm so certain is I, I, I had this hypothesis and then I came across a book uh, that's all about the 1963 Navy, Army, Navy game and JFK. So uh, a guy named uh, Michael Connolly, uh, who writes a lot of sports, great sports books. He wrote a book just about that game and the time with JFK, the Army, Navy game. So I contact I was able to contact him and I said, do you think. JFK, I think JFK would have gone to the Cotton Bowl. What do you think? He said he definitely would have gone to the Cotton Bowl game. And uh, and he pointed out that uh, the whole rivalry with LBJ, LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson, was uh, was from Texas. So you know, he was his Kennedy's vice president. So, you know, that was another uh, contributing factor that he certainly would have gone there uh to the cotton ball game and in fact uh lbj didn't end up going to the cotton ball game himself but he actually sent his daughter to the game uh so so it's it's really uh it's what what really got to me is you know a lot of people focus on the kennedy assassination you know here we are 60 years later and the actor and director rob reiner is producing a, a major podcast now where he's he's saying I've solved the Kennedy assassination. I've, I, it, you know, it's a conspiracy. It was a conspiracy, and and here's all the evidence. I, I haven't listened to the podcast, but this is a big thing right now. And it, you know, it's occurred to me as I was doing, as I was researching this and kind of experiencing this, that we've kind of dehumanized Kennedy over the last sixty years, just just focusing on. The conspiracy theories around the assassination. We forget that this was a person who had, you know, dreams and aspirations. And one of his big dreams was to go to this cotton ball game and see number two Navy. And, you know, the whole time he's been following Navy, they have never reached number two. The, they had not been this high in the rankings since uh, since uh, the war, since the war. And uh, uh, as, as you probably know, in 1944 and 45, Army and Navy were the top two teams in the country. And the Army-Navy game decided the national champion, basically, in 44 and 45, with Army winning both of those games and going undefeated. So this was Navy's chance to win a national title. They had not been in contention for a national title since they had lost to Army in 1945. I mean, this would have been one of the high points of Kennedy's life, going as president to the Cotton Bowl to watch them possibly win a national championship. And, and I have to believe that, the, and, and Greg, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, I'd have to believe that, you know, the motivation of, of knowing that you've got the president pulling for you would have been a big deal. 
I absolutely believe it would have happened. That that's you know everything I I knew about Kennedy and and the Navy football team. You know, being a graduate, of course, and having gone there, and you know, just just know the whole story behind it and and what Kennedy was all about. I have no doubt he would have gave the guys a pep talk either in Annapolis, which is not far from Washington, obviously, or you know at the game. I, I have no doubt in my mind Kennedy would have give them a pep talk and they would have probably responded very well to that. Um, just, just because I know he was, he was pretty beloved. And, and it's just, like I said, it's a shame we don't realize that now nowadays, but in, in that era, Kennedy and Navy were, were a kind of a thing. And he, like I said, he was a Naval hero. He was, he wanted to be associated with the Navy very much. So, and I, I think, you know, he, he was, um, probably our best fan in terms and definitely the best fan as far as commander in chief we ever had even probably better than jimmy carter i'm gonna guarantee because he really loved the team he wanted to be part of the team he wanted to be part of navy football and he went to every army he made it a point i'm gonna be there i love i like navy you know harvard guy like in navy who who knew but hey that's that's the way it went and it was just such a great time um, in the in Navy football history, that, that that team was just incredible. And, you know, to think they could have beat a very good Texas team that was probably one of the history's best teams ever. They were really good. It just it just makes me, you know, think, gosh, that was a great season for for Navy and the Naval Academy. So um, yeah. I just I just wish I could have you know seen it myself. I was, you know, too young probably to do that, of course. But that would have been an incredible time to be there. I'm, I'm sure it was. Now, is it too uh, presumptuous for me to say, maybe either one of you can answer this. Now, 60 years ago, you know, we, we think of today, you know, Air Force One is flying probably every day, probably flying almost like a commercial jet going all over the place. But back in 1963, uh, air travel is probably not as, as prevalent as today. And uh, so for a president to be going, you know, basically Thanksgiving being Texas, going back to Washington, going to Philadelphia, going back to Texas within a month's time, that's probably quite a bit of travel, even for the president of the United States in that time, isn't it? I think Air Force One was was flying. You know, the average person was not flying all over the place like they are now. You know, the volume of, of passenger air traffic was you know, a fraction of what it is today. But jet travel, we, we, we were in the jet travel age by the late 50s and air force one was was flying all over the place in fact the morning the morning of the assassination kennedy woke up in fort worth and they flew air force one from fort worth to dallas 10 minutes <laughs> so they, they didn't think anything of just flying you know flying air force one all over the place back then but but one of the things that i want to bring up also is how the how the assassination affected the navy team and, and maybe this is something Greg, that you you can talk to how how it would have impacted people in the armed forces more than than the average person. Well, I, I think Kennedy was a beloved figure. I mean, I I, I still think of him in in high regard as in far as far as a lot of things related to that in that era. And there there was a lot of turbulence i guess under underlying turbulence uh, politically in the world at that time and, and you got to remember kennedy went to dallas in november of 63 because he, he was starting effectively starting his campaign for re-election and there there's no doubt about that that's that's documented that's why he was going mm -hmm. there it was to campaign 
And so, you know, he would have probably been going, you know, a lot of places throughout the country, but Texas to him was a big deal. And he had, I think he thought he had to win Texas to win reelection. I think it was that that was probably be close again, just like it was against Nixon in 60. And it didn't end up being that way in 64, but he thought it was going to be. And, and he was definitely putting down markers to, to appeal to and to be part of and to be visible uh, in, in these in these locations. So I, I, I got to think that's, he was, you know, looking at football maybe as a way that, you know, he could relate to people, which was pretty cool. And again, Kennedy was a naval hero. Kennedy was someone that I think midshipmen and the Naval Academy look, looked up to or had in high regard. I, I think when I was there, I think he was in high regard. I think people still remembered, you know, Kennedy was a fan and, you know, we heard all the stories from the past and, you know, that Roger Staubach related to that too, because he was, you know, the, you know, NFL here, you know, superstar. Um, so I think there's still a lot of that going on and, and people remembered that and it kind of got, got farther and further away now, but at the time, you know, it was, it was a very big deal. And I think, you know, it really, I think it really must have really affected the team because I think they thought him as one of them. I really did. Even though he didn't go there per se, he was a Navy guy. He went to war just like they were going to go eventually. And he was probably um, the closest thing they had to a president that they could relate to. Interesting. Yeah. You know, and the point, the point I was wanted to make is that I, I think not only did they lose this potential motivation by not having Kennedy there, by losing Kennedy uh, the way they did, uh, it really deflated the team. And uh, and the, the Cotton Bowl game on New Year's Day 1964 uh, does not go very well for Navy. Um, what, what happens is, and I wanted to get to the game itself, uh, Texas, uh, like Army, was uh, very much a defensive-oriented, uh, rushing uh, team on offense. Uh, they hardly threw the ball. Duke Carlisle, their quarterback, had only thrown for 400 yards passing the entire season in 1963. And so uh, they catch, they kind of catch Navy a little blindsided because they come in with a, a, a whole new strategy where they're going to throw. And they throw uh, two touchdown passes early in the game. It's 14-0 early on. And another thing they did, uh, very smart on their part, they apparently knew that the uh, one of the Texas uh, defensive backs, Pat Donnelly, who also doubled as a halfback, so another, another two-way player, uh, Pat Donnelly had a hamstring injury. And so they threw at, uh, they threw in Donnelly's direction on two long bombs that they converted for touchdowns. And if you look at the, and you can see this in my Substack article, you can see the videos where uh, where Donnelly is just not able to keep up with the Texas wide receiver and Texas scores these two early touchdowns. And, and that really that really was an early nail in the coffin. And Texas ends up going up uh, 28, nothing uh, in the second half. And uh, Staubach finally, uh, runs one in and uh, and it's 28 to six was the final score. Uh, another interesting kind of side note is uh, so Duke Carlisle, who threw for just over 400 yards all season, he breaks the cotton ball record by the third quarter. He breaks the cotton ball record for passing yards in a game with something like 213. And then Storbach breaks the record in the fourth quarter 
So Staubach uh, ended up passing for uh, 228 yards in that game, and that became uh, the Cotton Bowl record. So the record's broken by both quarterbacks uh, in the same game. Wow. So so it doesn't end well for Navy, um, losing 28-6 to in the Cotton Bowl. But I have to believe that if Kennedy had lived and was able to go to Dallas six weeks after that initial trip, that things could have been very different. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, definitely a, a good point. And, uh, you know, something we'll never know. And <laughs> But uh, you know, very interesting that they both quarterbacks broke the record of the Cotton Bowl. Just tells you how badly each team wanted to win, or at least the, the quarterbacks play uh, was indicative of that. So uh, very interesting indeed. Now, do we have any uh, final uh, notes on that? Did, where did Navy ended up? Did they end up ranked number two for the final polls? Or? Well, so here, here's the interesting thing. Uh, so back in those days, the final polls came out before the bowl games. Bowl games were really viewed as more like exhibition games. So officially, Texas won the national championship uh, like three weeks earlier when the final poll came out around uh, a little a little after the Army-Navy game. So around December 10th or 12th, the final poll came out and Texas was one, Navy was two. And that's, that's why I, I call it a de facto. The game was like a de facto national championship. It wasn't really the true national championship. But if Navy would have beaten Texas, it'd be hard to say, well, Navy wasn't really the national champion. But the official national champion had already uh, been decided, and by the way, it's very interesting to note it was Texas. It was the first ever national title for Texas, and Navy has never won a national title. Hmm, interesting. And uh, how about how about you, Greg? Do you have any final things to to wrap up on our nineteen sixty three Navy team? Well, you know, like like Lynn said, it was it was a disappointing thing all all around. But bowl games were really big deal until you know very recently i think and there's so many of them but back then there weren't that many so it was a pretty big deal to have navy go to the cotton bowl or navy went to the orange bowl i mean these there weren't that many bowls and if you go to bowl game you got to be a pretty good team and so i i think there was a lot of maybe i won't say hype but definitely interest in bowl games and people took them seriously as far as you know who who beat who and what happened in a bowl game and like today you have opt-outs and embarrassments and things like that. Now the playoff is different now. It gets, it's more interesting, but still, I, I think college football was a little bit different than there were fewer games. And, you know, these, these one-off games, you know, were that you had nationally televised or were televised or, you know, even radio broadcasts were, were a very big deal. And, you know, I, I just had one additional postscript about Roger Staubach. You, you know, where he ended up playing in his professional career from the, at first it was the Cotton Bowl. He played for the Dallas Cowboys. He started, he played in the Cotton Bowl, then they moved to Texas Stadium later on. But um, he ended up playing home games at the Cotton Bowl. And he ended up, and Roger Staubach, you know, re recovered from this defeat, obviously, because he became the first Dallas Cowboys quarterback to win the Super Bowl in Super Bowl six. So he actually was Dallas's first you know, Super Bowl champion quarterback, and they came close many times to winning NFL championships and the Ice Bowl. And then the Super Bowl five was kind of a debacle. It was kind of a, they called the blunder bowl and the Cowboys lost. But Super Bowl six, 
Roger Staubach became the starting quarterback just before that in that season, and he became the you know, the, the Super Bowl winning quarterback, the first one for Dallas, and of course a Hall of Famer down down the road with with many accolades. And he ended up living in Dallas after that, so it kind of went full circle for him. But certainly, you know, Dallas was a certain place, and and at the time of the Cotton Bowl, you know, you realize Dallas, you know, Roger Staubach was going to be in the Navy. He wasn't going to play professional football right away for a number of years, and Lo and behold, he came back to play for Dallas. So I just thought that was kind of a karmic thing in a lot of ways that here, here comes Staubach and look where he is and in and, uh, and as a Dallas Cowboys, you know, Hall of Famer. So yeah, anyway. good, good, good point on the irony. Now he he lost two games in the Cotton Bowl that year, right? He lost to SMU not and, a good, and not a, to Texas. So. He did not have good luck in the Cotton Bowl, but as a professional, he, he probably he had a lot better luck. <laughs> yeah, that's a, <laughs> so. that's a great point. Well, guys, that is a, a excellent uh, story, and I thank you for sharing and bringing light and the memories to this 1963 team and the greatness that was in uh, some, you know, some really important moments in American history too. Of the country uh, losing our leader uh, very tragically, and uh, you know, and how the the country responded and how football responded, and a lot of people uh, look to foot things like football, the entertainment to sort of take their minds off of it. And I think it probably put a lot of people at ease knowing that uh, the army Navy game and the bowl games were being played and life could go on, even though we lost such an important figure in world history at the time. And, and gentlemen, I really want to thank you again for, for joining us and uh, you know, writing about this uh, Len and uh, you know, commenting and, and sharing it with us here today on pigskin dispatch. Thank you for writing this, Len. It was one of the best things I've ever read. So thank you for following Navy football. It was tremendous. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Darren. It was, it was uh, great being here. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. 
You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network. 